Dakota Hudson did what Dakota Hudson does, but the Cardinal bats went back to being silent. Coming up on B-Shave Daily. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the early morning hours of Saturday, September 2nd, 2023. Happy first birthday to my buddy Gabriel. Our son turns one today, but we're after midnight. We can still do a podcast because, Lord willing, he's sleeping upstairs. We'll see how long that lasts. But welcome into the show. Talking tonight about a Cardinals 4-2 loss and extra innings to the Pirates from Friday night at Bush Stadium as Dakota Hudson looked like Dakota Hudson when things are going well. When the ball's in play, find gloves. That is what Dakota Hudson can do. Seven innings of one-run baseball despite having a zero strikeouts tonight for Dakota Hudson. Yeah, that is tough. I mean, Dakota Hudson could do that. I don't know how many more starts he'll get, five more times, whatever it ends up being. He could do that exact thing five more times the rest of the way. His ERA would go down to like 3.1 for the season if he did. Maybe even lower than that. And yet, I don't think it would do a darn thing for the Cardinals or for Cardinals fans to decide, yeah, Dakota Hudson should be a part of the mix in 2024. I don't know what this guy could possibly do outside of the thing that we've talked a lot about that he needs to do, which is... Increase that strikeout rate. Start missing more bats. Start being more predictable with the way you come about your statistics and your numbers and the innings pitched and the outs recorded and the ERA. Be more predictable with those things, and I think that would be the thing that could awaken the Cardinals and and maybe awaken Cardinals fans to respecting Dakota Hudson's game a little bit more. But there is just too much relying on stuff that you can't necessarily count on being consistently present in the way that Dakota Hudson pitches for I think the Cardinals to double back with with him when it's not really about just Dakota Hudson by the way and again I don't know what the Cardinals will do like Dakota Hudson very well could finish this year and have a nice three and a half ERA if he continues to pitch well last start he gave up five runs so it's a little bit of a back and forth but he has three quality starts in his last six starts over the over the previous month starting on August 2nd, now it's September 2nd. So he's done some nice things, but I I don't know, the the floor, the ceiling, it might be the exact same place in that four to four and a half ERA range. And you're, again, reliant upon balls in play. And it was interesting earlier this week, Wednesday afternoon at Bush Stadium, was standing on the field before the game, talking to Benjamin Hockman of the Post-Dispatch. Ollie Marmel was out there, and I had been talking to Benjamin just about the notion of this Cardinal rotation and we kind of have conversations about what they're going to do, what are they going to go get and just kind of shooting the breeze on, on your general baseball talk. And I keep telling Hockman, we got to stop these conversations when we're just idly chatting at the ballpark, get a microphone on and record these suckers. Because I, I I told him once, I'm like, dude, that was a podcast that we, (laughs) that we just did just kind of talking about things. But anyway, that didn't happen. We weren't mic'd up, but we were talking about miles Michaelis and just kind of wondering, you know, what's gone wrong for him? What's gone differently for him this year? And I had mentioned to Benjamin, like, well, you know, I looked it up, and I was talking about it on my podcast, that Michaelis had a FIP, a fielding independent pitching, in 2022 that was like almost four. I think it was like 3.89. You could go back and look. I'm not going to pull it up. 
And the ERA was like 3.29. So it's like a half a run better than his fielding independent pitching suggested he should have been. So in a, in a year like that, you say, oh, he got a little lucky. And then this year, it was it's almost been the exact opposite, where the ERA is up there at 4.66, but you look at the fielding independent pitching, it's only narrowly worse than it was last year, 3.99. It's about identical. But the luck has gone in the exact other direction, whereas last year, Michaelis was about six-tenths of a run better in ERA than FIP. This year, he's almost exactly the same thing in the other direction. Six-tenths of an ERA or six-tenths of a run toward the wrong side on the ERA. He's got a 4.66 earn run average. So you could chalk up a lot of the differences to luck and things not going the way of Miles Michaelis. But when you count up the number of pitchers the Cardinals have that deal with that disparity or or just the reliance upon balls in play, Dakota Hudson is another one of them. So it's not really Dakota Hudson's fault. It's the pitcher he is. It's just a very interesting fit when you have what Michaelis does, which is not strike out a lot of guys, never has been. And I kind of, you know, asked Ollie about that. I said, is that just kind of the nature of what it is when you deal with, because Benjamin kind of asked Ollie, you know, we were talking about Michaelis's fifth, kind of what do you think about just his season? And he basically kind of said, yeah, I mean, that's what you're at the mercy of is the the, the balls in play and the, the BABIP luck going in your direction more times than it doesn't. And there are always ways that you can try and manipulate that and try and improve upon it. And Ollie brought up the thing that I have wondered a lot if that's been a factor. And it's the notion that the shift ban changes the advantage that the Cardinals used to have, especially when it comes to these ground ball pitchers. Now, tonight, obviously, for Dakota Hudson, it didn't didn't cost him a thing. They had 14 ground outs and five flyouts. Just a ridiculous ground ball rate for Hudson and gave up only three hits, walked a couple of guys, got away with it, only allowed one run in the game across seven innings. Hudson pitched very well by the standard of what Dakota Hudson does. Of course, you don't end up getting any strikeouts, which doesn't give you a lot of confidence that what he did tonight is something he's he's able to repeat every five days. Repeatability of strikeouts is something you just you can rely upon it because you're swinging and missing and that your, your stuff causes the opponents to do it. And that's why you just feel a little safer about projecting what a guy is or can be when he's getting those strikeouts. But Miles Michaelis, basically the same strikeout rate that he's had, right? A little lower this year, 6.1 per nine. Last year, 6.8. Year before, 6.2. 2019, he was 7 per nine. But then in his all-star season 2018, he was 6.5 strikeouts per nine. So it's just basically been about what he's been. And you could just look at a, maybe the, the Babbitt kind of not going his way. The shift ban perhaps is a, a part of the reason for that. Like when you look at the, the luck and the differences between what you expect to happen, which I don't think FIP is the end all be all. I've never felt that way, but it's an indicator. If you're, if you're trying to read into what what's kind of going on with a pitcher you can certainly use it as an indicator. And I would say that the disparity going against him this year is a case of not as quality infield defense in the early portion. Arenado didn't have a good first half defensively. He's since turned it on to the extent that if Cabrian Hayes didn't have such good numbers, I would say Arenado's still a shoe in for the gold glove at third. But that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Can his reputation win out, even if he might not have the full season numbers that Cabrian Hayes does per the defensive metrics? But Arnado started slow, 
Michael has started slow. You had Nolan Gorman playing a lot more second base. He's not a bad second baseman, but he's not a gold glover there. And Tommy Edmond, who is a former gold glover at second, has kind of struggled at the position this year. So you just haven't had, and, and of course, shortstop-wise, DeYoung was solid, but not otherworldly and played a lot of shortstop. Like, it's just kind of been the nature of what it is. And then you throw the shift ban in there as well. And I think, I have said, like, I think that's negatively impacted the Cardinals because they've always had such an advantage. They're, they were better at every other team in the way that they shifted and, and sized up their defense in order to predict where the ball was going and, and put guys in position to make plays. They were always so good at that. And Ollie Marmel even said, you know, yeah, the shift ban, I think, is definitely something that's impacted Miles Michael as, uh, as much as anybody. And Cardinal fans go, oh, my gosh, here's the excuse making. I don't think it's that. I think it makes sense to go, all right, this is a pitcher who is largely on the peripheral side of things done about what he's always done, and yet his hits allowed per nine innings go from 7.6 to 10. What's going on? His walk rate's the same. 1.7 walks per nine last year, 1.8 this year. His K rate is uh, 0.7 differential over nine. He's actually given up fewer home runs per nine. 0.9 homers per nine innings compared to 1.1 per nine last year. Like in the case of Miles Michaelis, why is it that way? Well, we identify some of these things. You go, all right, shift ban, pitch clock, whatever, you know, whatever you want to throw out there. Not excuse making, but just talking baseball and trying to go, oh, you know, that's kind of what it is. But it's interesting where you look at the Cardinals and say, okay, Michaelis is that way, Hudson's that way, Andre Palante is a guy who's that way as well, just reliant on pitch to contact. But you look at the metrics of what Palante has done this year, it's like his numbers probably shouldn't be as, as rough as they've been, but it seems like every time Palante puts a ball on the ground like he's supposed to, which is what is you know, it's what he does is is get those ground balls as reliably as anybody in baseball. And yet this year, you look at the numbers, he's got a five one three ERA, a four point two eight FIP. It's almost a full run difference of things just not going his direction. And I'm not trying to suggest a four point two eight FIP is yeah, outrageously good. You know, you'd like it to be below four. But last year, he was a 3.98 FIP and a 3.17 ERA. Just, it's gone completely the other way on Andre Palante in his second year, whereas the, the underlying numbers say he's honestly not been that different. Up and down the board, that's kind of been the way for the Cardinals, and they've got too many guys that are that way. Uh, individually on their own, I don't think it's a problem. These guys are all major league caliber pitchers. But you got to be careful with the way you construct your 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 roster, your bullpen, your your starting rotation. If you've got a bunch of those guys in the same year that a shift ban is in, introduced and a pitch clock is introduced, that could I don't really know like exactly how to quantify it with the pitch clock because I, like I think I think it affects guys. I imagine that it does, but most of them aren't going to say it does because they don't want to make an, an excuse. And it's hard to quantify exactly like, okay, what way exactly does it affect guys? Is your location, is your command just a little bit off because you're a little more run down as a game goes or, or not able to kind of lock in exactly on each pitch because you're feeling rushed? Like, that's a harder thing to quantify. Very easy to look at the shift band thing and quantify it. So I thought that was kind of an interesting conversation from the other day that, that sort of lends itself to what we're talking about with Dakota Hudson tonight where – my gosh, seven innings, one run. What more could you possibly want? Well, you'd want to know that the next time he pitches the exact same way, you can expect similar results. When in reality, instead of three hits, it might be eight because 
balls might just be slightly out of reach of your fielders, whereas this time they found gloves. And that's been the story of why Andre Pallante has struggled this season. But we're talking about it with Michaelis. We talk about it with Dakota Hudson as well. And if you're the Cardinals going into this offseason, you kind of have to ask yourself, I don't think any of these pitchers are are below major league caliber. I'm not saying they're all going to make up a, a, a rotation or a bullpen on a, a top contender if you combine them all into the same bucket. But I think all of them have a place in Major League Baseball. But how many of them can you afford to have on the same team and expose yourself to that level of, I, I call it risk, I don't know if that's the right word, but that level of uncertainty that is just naturally associated with, with pitch to contact. It's a really interesting conversation. I think it's the one at the heart of everything the Cardinals are looking into when you come into the offseason. It's why they've talked so much about pitch to contact versus missing bats and trying to pursue guys who miss bats, whether it was at the trade deadline when they pick up Drew Rahm, when they pick up Takoa Roby, who, by the way, another three-inning appearance with Springfield with 12 strikeouts. He's now struck out 12 in six innings at double-A. Takoa Roby, keep an eye on him as a guy who's going to rise through the system in terms of prospect ranking. Uh, they're they're bringing him on slowly off of the shoulder injury because he was hurt when they traded for him. He was rehabbing the shoulder. Uh, wasn't something surgical this year, but just has, had kept him out for a while. But now two outings of three innings each where he struck out six guys in both. That's interesting. Talk about the upside you got at the deadline. That deal of Jordan Montgomery and Chris Stratton for John King, who was kind of the third guy in the deal, but has done a nice job for the Cardinal bullpen as a lefty. I think his ERA is like below one since they got him somewhere down there. Thomas the JC, who's hitting the cover off the ball. I believe he had a double or something tonight for like his 104th RBI of the season or something just absolutely outlandish. And then to Roby, now that he's healthy again and pitching, looks like a guy as well. So the Cardinals really made out like bandits, I think, at the deadline. And people say, oh, these are prospects. These guys are in the minors. How can you possibly know yet? Uh, you, you just project a little bit of what you're seeing and thinking, man, a couple of years from now, it could be real exciting to see all these guys potentially in St. Louis. And, hey, maybe you even sign Jordan Montgomery back in the offseason, and he's a future teammate of some of those guys. I don't expect that, but I, I guess technically it is possible. But that's kind of what we're looking at. When it comes to Dakota Hudson, it's like, goodness, can he do anything to change the perspective, the impression of how people feel about him? Probably not. And I don't think that's entirely fair to Dakota Hudson. I think it's just a sign of the times that people are largely very keenly aware of like what makes a pitcher good and predictably good. But Dakota Hudson, for his career, has a 3.6-some-odd ERA. It was 3.70 coming into today. He lowered that a little bit, so let's call it 3.69 for his career in almost 450 career innings. Doesn't strike anybody out. Only 303 strikeouts in that span. But, like, he's a good major league pitcher for what he does. You just have to be in the right situation, I think, to get the most out of Dakota Hudson. And at this point, 28 years old, I don't think he's ever going to be what he isn't. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that strikes out one per inning over the course of 175 innings in a major league season. He's not, he's not ever been close to that. And it's, at this point, difficult to imagine that he ever would be. His best strikeout season was when he had 136 Ks in that first year in the rotation in 2019, but that was in 174 and two-thirds innings. And he also led the league in walks that year. Can't do That's not a combination that works, but I, I don't know. I think Dakota Hudson sometimes, why am I drawing this comparison? And people who don't want to hear about something that's not Cardinal baseball, just bear with me very quickly 
but I'm a big Mizzou football guy because, you know, I went to Mizzou, got the columns tattooed on my back. I do the radio show in Columbia uh, on KTGR, talking Mizzou all the time. It kind of reminds me of the Brady Cook situation for Mizzou with their quarterback where they say, oh, you know, he's he does fine. Like, his numbers are okay if you just look at the numbers, but you watch him play, and it just doesn't feel like he's got a lot of upside. But he's out there grinding. Like, I feel like it's a very similar thing for Dakota Hudson where people look at the they watch him and they'll certainly on the bad days, they'll certainly rip what, what happens and it doesn't look good. And you never want to watch him pitch again on the bad days. But then day like today, it's not like he's really celebrated. It's, Oh, well, you know, he got lucky. He's never going to be able to do that again. And yet over the course of his career, like the numbers are the numbers, it's been six years and he's got a 3.69 lifetime ERA. I'm just saying, I don't know if that means anything. What do you think it means? Cardinals fans? Like I know I, I watch the Cardinals just as well as you guys do. I get what Dakota Hudson has been as a pitcher, but I also feel like there are times where the Cardinals aren't really in a position to scoff at what Dakota Hudson brings to the table because he is a solid major league pitcher, especially on a team that that has good defenders backing him up across the infield. It's not going to be reliable. You're not going to be able to project based on the, the luck of where the ball bounces on a given game. It's not as consistent as what a strikeout pitcher would be able to bring you, but when he's pounding the bottom of the zone with the sinker the way that he did today. I mean, Dakota Hudson's a very Dave Duncan type of pitcher, is he not? I think he would have been celebrated in the Dave Duncan era, but because he's pitching here in 2023, eh, you know, it's just it's just the nature of what it is. So I don't think he can win for losing. But he did lose today. Didn't take the L. Cardinals did, 4-2, to two, down to the Pirates. By the way, if you're enjoying the Cardinals channel, we talk a lot of Cardinals baseball here, hit subscribe on this channel and hit like on this video. Would appreciate your guys' support in that. If you are a Cardinals fan or somebody who likes listening to Cardinals content, we bring it to you frequently here on the channel. This is B-Shape Daily Podcast. Make sure to hit that subscribe button on YouTube and then head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts to hit subscribe, hit follow, download the show, whatever it is you do, wherever you listen to your podcasts. But such a funny thing to me when it comes to Dakota Hudson. Seven innings, one run today. Cardinals take the L in part because the bats regressed back to where they had been before the couple of walk-offs in a row over the last two games. Tommy Edmond had it twice. Had a chance tonight, actually, in the bottom of the ninth to do it. But I think it was just a, a, a base hit or an error that he got the second base on. Was hoping to see maybe a Little League do, uh, home run style. Pirates throw the ball around a little bit, let Tommy Edmond score. I don't even know if he got a hit on that. I, I know there was an error charged for him getting to second base. But nevertheless... Would have been very fascinating to see three straight walk-offs by the same guy. I'm not sure that's ever happened. But the Cardinals just offensively didn't get it going. Wilson Contreras with the home run. He goes two for four, hit one to freeze his lawn, his 16th of the year, getting that OPS near 800. But he had two-thirds, of the, or pardon me, one-third of the Cardinals hits tonight, two for six. He had two of them, six for the team. O'Neill had a double. I think just a few singles scattered otherwise. At the top of the order goes 0 for 16 combined with two walks and seven strikeouts. Paul Goldschmidt in the 10th inning did have the sacrifice fly that made it 4-2 to two instead of 4-1, to one, scoring the man for man. Consecutive flyouts to center advance the guy that starts on second base, and he scored, but that was about it. And, and for Paul Goldschmidt in particular, that was the very rare bright spot on a game for him that just, he, he's had times where he's locked it in and he homers and you're feeling like, okay, back to being Goldie. But he's also had some games recently where he just does not look like himself. And that's kind of bled out into the field a little bit too. Tonight, not a good defensive game by Paul Goldschmidt where he had kind of a a ball that was hit relatively sharply, kind of to his side, 
had a little bit of trouble fielding it. Got up, tried to make it happen, and just underhand flipped to first base. This was earlier in the game and just not in time. I thought it was one where he tried to calmly collected, regain composure after the ball kind of squirted away from him. And then I think in that instance, he needed to actually hurry up a little bit, try to rush his timing in order to like throw overhanded, get the ball to first base to the pitcher covering. He didn't put enough on it to get it to, to happen. No error on the play, but ends up allowing a base runner as a result. And then it happened again in the 10th inning where it was, this wasn't even like a, a difficult chopper or anything. It was hit right to him. And he just, it's like he wasn't, I can't articulate why it happened that way. And I didn't stick around in the clubhouse long enough to find out because it's already 1 a.m. as I'm doing this now. But it was like a, a ball hit right to him and he didn't charge it the way that he would have needed to. And Romero didn't react. Jojo Romero, like he needed to, to cover the base. And so he was a little bit late. So Goldschmidt again goes for the underhand flip, but it's like a, I don't know, 25, 30 foot flip. It was the first one was a long flip. I couldn't believe he went underhand, but I think he was just trying to not throw it away. So he just kept his kind of rhythm and in, in his timing and his steps. And it just didn't have enough on the throw. And this time it was kind of a similar situation, but Romero was late to the bag covering and they tried to time it up and it just, again, didn't work out. So that was where the 10th inning began and, and things went horribly wrong from there for the Cardinals. Uh, ball back up the middle, which I guess was ruled a base hit off of Edmund's glove, even though it was originally called an error. I think Romero kind of screened Edmund on the play, which is maybe why they take the error away from Tommy. But that ball just squirts into shallow center field to score one run. And then there's a wild pitch somewhere in there. And there's a, a swinging bunt that Romero just stares down the first baseline and it doesn't roll foul when you think it's going to. And so that's another whole deal. And sacrifice fly. He didn't give up a hit. Cardinals in the inning, I think for Hagen comes in, didn't give up a hit in the inning that went to an outfielder. Technically, it wouldn't have been any hit that reached the outfield grass, except for they changed the error on Tommy to a hit. And it's just uh, just ridiculous Babbitt luck. You talk about the luck or the, the positive, whatever you want to call it, that Dakota Hudson endured, experienced in the first seven innings. It all came to roost in the 10th because that was just like, it was objectively kind of funny. It's just very much the 2023 Cardinals. And you'd be frustrated if, if it was a season where that game really cost you something. But it was just at a certain point in that inning, it was like, yeah, this is exactly the way this inning is going to continue to go until such time that the baseball gods decide that you've had enough. Like, it's just where the Cardinals are right now. So, I don't know. What do you think of it tonight, Cardinals fans? It's It's kind of hard to stay, you know, locked in and really too aggressively upset about a game like that, but maybe you feel differently. Let me know in the comments section below. Like it was kind of a game that sailed along well-pitched game by the Cardinals. You get Ryan Helsley back. That's some news from today that Helsley and Newpar are activated from the injured list. Um, Brennan Donovan goes to the 60 day IL to make room on the 40 man for Helsley, which is fine because that forearm surgery that Donnie had, he's not going to play the rest of the year anyway. So it doesn't really cost you anything on that front. Um, Jake Woodford was also activated from the IL, but they optioned him to AAA Memphis with the idea being that he can get some more regular work down there rather than just like the Cardinal bullpen is kind of a mess right now. They need the veterans that are the Casey Lawrence's and the Suarez's of the world, the Jacob Barnes's of the world that just kind of, hey, we might need to throw four innings today. Can you do that? Yes. Okay, great. I think they want to get Woody a little more consistency and he'd probably say, screw it. I'd rather be in the St. Louis bullpen, but they're going to send him to Memphis for now. 
it's just kind of where the Cardinals are, and it's it's hard to feign a lot of uh, you know disdain and disgust for a game like that where I, it really was some some bad luck that went against the Cardinals in the tenth. But I I do call it out a little bit. Like Paul Goldschmidt, I don't know defensively, it just did not look good for him today. That's not something that I think is too much of a trend. Do I think he's just doomed as a no? I think he's going to be just fine. But like it's a sloppy year for the Cardinals, and it does feel like that's bleeding a little bit into the day to day of even some of the guys that are the veterans on this team. Although Arenado has continued to look otherworldly defensively. Just like a couple more, that play that he makes coming in on a ball, going to his right, and tonight he did one where he stepped on the bag to start a 5-3 double play, vaulting off the bag to make the throw off balance toward Goldie at first. The dude is absolutely ridiculous, and it's really fun to see him back at that level again where it was very clear that whatever was going on with him in the first half, he wasn't the same guy defensively that we're used to seeing. Uh, but he has, if he does this for another month, I'll, I'll understand the defensive run saved. We'll say Cabrian Hayes. I don't know exactly what the formula is for gold glove anymore. I know the metrics are part of it, but there's player vote and there's some diff- all sorts of different considerations that go into it, man. I don't, Hayes is a great third baseman, but I don't even think Hayes is doing some of the stuff on the high end that Arenado has done. It's he's just been otherworldly recently, but uh, he, I don't know. It, it may be too much ground to make up. We'll see. He's never lost a gold glove in his entire major league career. Like since his rookie year, he's won the thing every single year in the national league with Colorado, with St. Louis. It hasn't made a difference, but we'll see what ends up happening there with Arenado. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of one of those games, one of those seasons, Cardinals fans. I, I, I maybe there's people that are still going to find a way to, you know, you blame Ollie for tonight, you know, Helsley comes in in the eighth inning. Romero's going to kind of remain the ninth inning guy. I think for right now, uh, Helsley looked good. I didn't like the fact that they didn't play the uh, the ACDC Hell's Bells with the red light show. Give me the light show, even if he's not in the ninth inning. But that was kind of scrapped tonight, which I, again, I don't really know what the thought process was behind that. Maybe it's got to be a ninth inning only thing for the laser light show. Maybe they didn't have it ready because he was off the IL just today. I have no idea what it was. But, uh, you know, he he looked good. New Bar looking good as well with some of the, the swings that he took. Hit the ball hard. Not always rewarded for it. Hit one to the track late in the game that didn't, you know, obviously amount to anything. But he looked pretty solid. I think the Cardinals missed both those guys, but Newpar in particular. Next year is going to feel a little bit differently if you can have more health for some of those key players. Uh, Donovan's another example of that. But also, you don't always get to dictate health and how much of it you have or you don't have. So you can't always count on next year being better. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. But yeah, kind of a sleepy game at Bush Stadium as the Cardinals lose this one in extras 4-2. Pirates have kind of had the Cardinals number this year. We're not really used to seeing that or, or saying that, but that's kind of been the way that it's gone. And, you know, the Cardinals are way down there in the standings. Humbug. That's what it is. Let me know what you think, the Cardinals fans, in the comments section below. Hit like on this video. Subscribe on this channel. One thing I want to talk about before we get out of here, I thought about making into a second video but I may just kind of lop it on here at the end. Um, news coming out from the Cardinals press box after the game, after I had already departed, a lot of the Cardinals reporters who are still there, mentioning that the Cardinals are going to push back Adam Wainwright. He's not going to start Sunday. So if you had tickets for Sunday's game, hoping to see 199 from Wayno, that sucks because he's not going to pitch. Drew Rahm will pitch Saturday, which is slated. That was the way it was slated, I believe. But Sunday, they're going to figure something else out. I don't know if it's going to be a bullpen game or a Casey Lawrence special or what it's going to be. But Wainwright's going to pitch Tuesday in Atlanta. And you might be thinking, what? They're trying to get him 199. Pirates would be the best chance you're going to get, right? I mean, it's not like they're as bad as the Cardinals or anything, but they're 
they're still not a very good team, not a very good lineup. Wainwright at Bush, like, come on, that's a great opportunity, especially after how he pitched against the Padres. Maybe the Cardinal lineup can do something uh, against the, the Pittsburgh pitching staff and get Wainwright at 199. Well, they're not doing it. The reason is it is kind of a sentiment sort of thing and a sentiment sort of season and month when it comes to Adam Wainwright, his final month of his career, really. Basically, they're playing in Atlanta on Tuesday. Wainwright was drafted by Atlanta in the year 2000, grew up in Georgia, Brunswick, Georgia boy, last opportunity to pitch in the big leagues in his home state. I think that probably means something. And it's one of those where, like, I... Wainwright wants 199 and 200 to happen, but it's one of those where it's like he's not going to shy away from a challenge, first of all, no matter the lineup. But that's maybe a little foolhardy because I don't expect Wainwright to have as great of a game against the Braves on the road as he did against the Padres at home this past time. And the Padres have a good lineup as well, and, and Wainwright was able to navigate it. So maybe he's back to a spot where he's just feeling a little bit more like himself and, and, and can grind against that Atlanta lineup. But I tell you what, on its face, I was like, man, I don't know about all that. I don't know about foregoing a game against the Pirates. And you push back now two days because of the off day. So that means it'll be another two days before you're able to pitch. Like, ultimately, I hope that it doesn't take away an additional start from his season the way it maps out. I'm sure they'll be on top of that. But let me know what you think, Cardinals fans. That's kind of an interesting bit of information that the reporters, uh, I saw Katie and Jeff, uh, and, and I think Derek was on it as well. They, they must have announced in the press box or whatever. I was getting back home. But uh, basically, yeah, no Wainwright for Sunday, which I saw already some comments from Cardinals fans on Twitter saying, dude, I, I bought tickets specifically to see Wayno pitch on, on Sunday, and that's kind of a bummer to take that away from the home fans. But at the same time, like, it's Adam Wainwright's last year. He's been doing this for 20 years with the Cardinals, uh, 23 years in, in, in big league baseball. I don't know when that J.D. Drew trade happened, 2003, something like that. Um, 2004, probably, whatever it was. He's been around for a long, long time, and if he wants to pitch in Atlanta, he wants to pitch in, in his home state one more time before, you know, it's kind of serendipitous. It almost lined up perfectly. It didn't quite, so you just manipulate it a little bit to let him do it. In a season like this for the Cardinals, I've got no problem with it. Wouldn't it be something if he says, I know what it looks like on his face. People think I can't can't shut down the, the Braves. Maybe he does. Wouldn't that be something? But that's going to be on Tuesday, I don't know what the plan is for Sunday. If they've announced it, I haven't seen it yet. But it's going to be one of those kind of hodgepodge games, I would imagine, for the Cardinals at Bush Stadium. Or maybe they, they call up like a Michael McGreevy or something. I have no idea what's going to happen. But that's where it is. Wainwright, no Sunday. Yes, Tuesday in Atlanta. What do you think of it, Cardinals fans? Would have been maybe nice to see him against the Pirates get that 199 under his belt with close to a month remaining in the season. Instead, he's going to go into the belly of the beast in Atlanta on Tuesday. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of the show. Appreciate you guys, as always, for listening, for hanging out with me all season. We've got more to go, and then we'll get into postseason mode. And Well, not for the Cardinals, but offseason mode is going to be a lot of fun, too. Uh, more fun than we're having right now, for sure. But stick with me, guys. I promise it's going to be worth it in the long run. Like You hear a lot of confidence from people that just say, oh, it's going to be different next year for the Cardinals. And it's not just going to happen by magic, so I think that means it's going to be a fun offseason in terms of the acquisitions that they're going to put together. That's the way I'm looking at it anyway. So hit subscribe on this channel if you enjoy Cardinals content. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Safe Daily. Peace.